Life is a highway, and on it there will be many chicken sandwiches. But there's only one McCrispy, so go ahead and hit the turn signal if you know about this juicy gem of a detour. Love the flexibility of working in all sorts of places? Well, working on the go seamlessly requires a strong network like T-Mobile. We have America's largest 5G network, so whether you're on a video call at the park or uploading large files at a coffee shop, we have the 5G speed you need. Whatever takes you on the go, T-Mobile's got you covered. Find out more at T-Mobile.com slash network today. Coverage not available in some areas. See 5G device coverage and access details at T-Mobile.com. everyone, it's Andy Richter, and you have tuned into another episode of The Three Questions. And uh, I'm going to be posing those three questions today to a very, very funny man who I have known for years and uh, who is like uh, practically uh, like a neighborhood guy, Tom Papa. Uh, I mean, because our kids go to the same school. I used to see you all the time on this uh, show I worked on. Uh, Conan show, I think it was called. <laughs> I remember that. Yeah, yeah. How are you? <laughs> I'm doing well. I'm doing now, well. Yeah, we're starting a little late because tell them, tell tell the audience what happened because it's kind of charming. All right. After I, I drove my daughter to school, which is like one of the first times all year. Yep. So we're all same school, sorts. same same. I got a daughter, and yesterday was the first day. Yeah, and uh, so we're all confused. And I was actually criticizing her on the way in because she had forgotten a couple things, like her dance shoes and stuff. I'm like, you got to get it together. Yeah, what and then, the fuck? Uh, yeah, and then I roll, come home, and uh, I'm a little confused myself, and I see my pug, who loves the sun, just sunbathing out back. I was like, oh, that looks too delicious. And I just lay down next to him, and we just started rolling around and stuff and totally drifted off into the clouds and forgot that I was supposed to be on your show. <laughs> that goddamn pug has undermined more of my podcasts going around distracting people. His name is Frank, which uh-huh. uh, which is lo- just perfect in moments like this because when you got to yell or just kind of like slightly aggravated, it's like yelling at Sinatra. You're like, come Frank. on, Frank, Frank, <laughs> I got to go yeah. podcast, Frank. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I always thought, uh, 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 like, the two dog names that would be good, because uh, my dog's named Daisy. It doesn't work as well. But, like, so that when you can yell, it sounds like uh, Ricky is a good one and, uh-huh. and Debbie. Like, Debbie! <laughs> like, to yell out the door, Debbie! Where are you uh, going, Debbie? Debbie, don't leave! <laughs> um, well, uh I, I, I'm sorry to take you away from your pug because that does sound that sounds like uh, uh, lying down on the ground next to a dog is one of the great joys. It's um, it's pretty good. But, you yeah. know, I, get back to your life. <laughs> right. Exactly. <laughs> when Michaela Watkins uh, was on this podcast, she did it at a studio at the Earwolf Studios. And I brought my dog and my I hadn't had my dog very long. And my when she met my dog, my dog was lying on the floor and Michaela just lied down next to her, like for just like a 
a good spoon right in the middle of the podcast studio. And I was Beautiful. like, they just made me like, I love you. That's fantastic. <laughs> yeah, it's so great. Yeah. I have to say, and this is a little bit of a side note, but you gave me you gave me a little dog tip because when we first got our dogs, I visited you at, at your place. Yeah. And uh, we're, you're talking about the dogs and we, we got a black lab at the time. And you're like, yeah, you know, you got to you got to clean up after the dog. And I was I was kind of I was kind of aggravated, didn't really know. Like, I got to scoop this up. And you're like, just leave it for a day. Gets hard and it's easy to pick up. Yeah. <laughs> and I literally carry that little lesson in my head yep, yep. all the time. Like, yeah, just leave it for a day. Yeah. <laughs> it's like, yeah. Although I have to be careful with my dog because uh, I have to pick him up. Right. A, because she's large. Mm. And, um, and I have found plenty of piles of poop with a perfect dog print in it. Like a perfect Ooh. paw print. Like she's just not real bright. So like if she goes, decides to run around and go bark at, you know, bark yeah. at a squirrel. The fact that there's a giant loaf of pumpernickel <laughs> bread in her way doesn't stop her. She just runs right through it. Maybe it's the latte signature. <laughs> it's something. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> this is me. The only way she has to do it. All right. Now, how long have you been a stand-up comedian now? How long, how many years have this been your career? Um, I, I would, it's like, uh, like, uh, I started in 1993, June oh, okay. of 1993. And that's June when 12th. I started on Conan. Yeah. Is that crazy? Yeah. 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 June 12th, 1993. So my whole adult life. Wow. And were you a funny, you grew up in Jersey. Were you a funny kid? Um, yeah, I was always yeah. a funny kid. Yeah, I was like funny. the kind that got in trouble, or um, yeah, a little bit, a little yeah. bit. Um, but I would always kind of like I was always a rule follower too. Like I, I, yeah. I, I, I would kind of charm my way, charm my way out of it. But I got in a good amount of trouble for sure. Yeah, uh, but I was I was hamming it up like real early, like kindergarten, first grade stuff. Like class clown kind of thing, yeah, yeah, yeah. I was class clown, and um, when I, the first time I I got up and I knew the first time I like did a bit, like in was in first grade when Rhinestone Cowboy was a popular song. Remember that? Mm -hmm. It's a Rhinestone yeah, yeah. Cowboy, and I was sitting in class and eating a banana, <laughs> and I already got, funny, already funny, funny, funny food, and I walked up to the front of the class, not. During like show or tell, show and tell, or I just I got the bit in my head. So I went up there, and uh, right in front of the teacher, just started twirling the banana around like a cowboy lasso, and started singing a "Rhinestone Banana" on the "Rhinestone Banana" and shaking my little hips. And uh, the teacher was like, "What are you doing? Go back!" And the, the kids laughed. And I literally remember in this first grade, it's so etched in there because I like thought of a thing, did the thing, they laughed at the thing, and I went back and felt good. Yeah. And, uh, <laughs> and that was my first my first little uh, taste. Your yeah, your first experience with transactional comedy. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Transactional for you and the audience. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. But I was class clown, like, in junior high and, and in high school. Were you encouraged by your family? Uh, like, did you, did they you know, foster funny kids or was it like, shut up? Yeah, no, it was a funny, it was, a, it was kind of the good, the, the perfect combination. Cause my mother was silly and would always do voices and imitate the neighbors. And, 
And she was she was always cutting up with us. And they were young parents, you know, they had us yeah. like when they were 20 or something. And uh, and my dad was pretty strict, but you could break him. You yeah. know, you you get him to laugh. So it was like that good thing of like silliness and tension in the house. <laughs> that, <laughs> yeah, that's a, that's a good place to kind of like foster the the funny. And there was no yeah, stopping yeah. it. I mean, we were just ripping away and being as funny as we could be. Yeah. Well, the tension yeah. does help because it's the nothing's better about comedy than the break of tension. You know what I mean? Yeah. Right. Exactly. I mean, that was always. My favorite, because I was like, I was very much the same way. I didn't like getting in trouble. I was a rule follower, uh-huh. getting in trouble, which I don't even know. But the notion of that just chilled me to the bone as a <laughs> right. child. Yeah. And like, like I, without any thought of like, well, what's the consequences? It's like looking back at, you know, like I, I've never been in a physical fight, uh, you know, except for like with my brother. Uh, yeah. In my entire life. <laughs> and and I would oh and you know and I think it's all I'm a I'm a big person so I think that helped but yeah I often thinking back about times when I like look back with like a cringe of like times when somebody was aggressive to me and I backed down mm-hmm. and I was just looking back and I think like what if what if I had gotten in a fight like what would have happened like it's not it would have been like. I would have maybe got hit. Like I've yeah. been hit. It's not so terrible. Like I, I don't know what I was so terrified of. You know. Yeah. I, well, conflict. I mean. Yeah. Yeah. Was your dad really strict? Were you? Were your parents strict? Um. No, not really strict. But my, they were yellers. They were uh-huh. screamers. My mom. My mom was very and still is very loud. My la, My mom still like. Yeah. Just you know, yeah. I have to tell her like you. Yeah, we don't do that here. We don't like just because breakfast is ready. Bellow at the top of our lungs, you know, Debbie. Yeah, Debbie. <laughs> um, but uh, but no, it, they they but they was it was yelling and there was yeah. some yeah. And I mean, and it got you know it got dysfunctional and ugly and there was some sort of physical stuff. But that's. For a different time, yeah, but that, um, but that stuff, I always feel like that stuff kind of like leads you away from the conflict, and like, like if my father would get angry, like he, you know, he had a, a little bit of a short temper, and he was a big, strong guy. I didn't want that. I didn't yeah. want to. I didn't want to call that on. So I think I, when I went out in the world, I was like, I didn't want to invite more of that. Yeah, you know what yes. I mean. And it wasn't yeah, yeah. like abusive or anything, but it just any kind of conflict i was just like not into it well and i think too like i mean it's kind of also too it was very i was raised mostly by my grandma and my mom and they were very much be a good boy and so that's drilled into you that's not yeah i didn't have like a male kind of presence that says like yeah follow the rules but sometimes you got to tell people to fuck off or sometimes you got to stand up for yourself or if somebody's mean to you don't put up with it Mm-hmm. You know, I I never kind of got a lot of that kind right, of suggestion. Right. So yeah, you want to um, make them happy. I'm yeah, sure. it's like okay, no, I just you know you're supposed to be nice. Everything's supposed to be nice. Why aren't you being nice? Yeah, you, we should be nice. And I, you know, I, you know, through it came out of a couple divorces too. You know, as a kid, yeah, and was like so it was like conflict was not something you wanted to. Yeah, you know, yeah. it was it was it seemed just deadly. It seems, right. you know, the stakes were so high yeah. that if you should get in an argument with somebody, you know, 
what you know and you yeah i'm the same way i don't really get i don't like arguing i don't like even with my wife i'm just like i'd rather just like go into a cave and be cold for a day than make (laughs) than than yell and scream (laughs) yeah and after you got that cave installed your life really your marriage picked up your relationship with the kids yeah and the wild wild mountain animals that live in there (laughs) yeah well, were you a smart ass? Like, did you get in, in trouble in school? Like, because that was me. I would, you know, yeah. sometimes couldn't stop. Yeah, no, for sure. Fun. Yeah, no, I was I was getting in trouble and uh, getting sent down to the principal. And I just I was, you know, I just wanted to have fun. And like you say, like the tension, what's more tense than a classroom with yeah. a with an English teacher who's being really strict? And it's like. Oh, you can get laughs here so easily, and and my friends were funny, so they would, yeah. you know, it was just constant, constant, just screwing around. What did you think when you're you were gonna be when you were a kid? I mean, were you did you get good grades? I did. I just did, I got the grades that would keep everyone off my back. Like yeah. if I could get like B minuses and and C pluses, uh, yeah, I could I could kind of like not get in trouble when I went home. Um, and I was always getting the, you know, you're not applying yourself and all, but I, I just wasn't into it. I think, uh, what it was seventh grade when I discovered what a comedian was like, you know, I'd been watching shows or, and things, but I, it was, I listened to two comedy albums this one summer week with, was, uh, Steve Martin's let's get small at my brother's at my friend's bro- older brother's room, all these older cool dudes. Yeah. listening to Steve Martin and then and then George Carlin's at the end of the week at Class Clown and that was the first time I realized oh being funny could be a job yeah. like you could you could do this as a job and from that point on I just had my sights set on on trying to keep this going <laughs> you oh know? really wow yeah yeah at a very really early but I had nobody in my family that was in anywhere close to show business yeah and uh, so they wanted me to go to school and, you know, have a fallback plan and all that kind of stuff. But I was just purely, I was like following the rules of that. I was like, all right, I could see, you know, I don't want to end up living under a bridge. So I guess I'll do that. But this comedy thing is really where I'm I'm headed. Mm-hmm. And um, did you start, did you start in, in like, because this is always amazing to me that people that, I talked to on the show that like, yeah, I started to work. I started doing stand up in high school or I started took improv classes in high school. And I'm always just like, what? Yeah. How could you be so brave? You know, <laughs> I know. No, I was um, I was an athlete through high school. Yeah. So I was doing all of that stuff. And then but once I had played football from kindergarten through 12th grade. Oh, okay. and once that and once that season was over in 12th grade. That was it. I was like, all right, I did it. I'm done. I'm yeah. not going to go do I don't want to do this in college. And I picked a school that hadn't just had their football team suspended. Like the, the, <laughs> <laughs> that was your reason? Like, just- <laughs> yeah, their program, their program was done. And yeah. I was like, and they had a theater department. And I was like, I'll go there. And, uh, because my father wanted me to play, like continue, like playing like Division Three, like keep going with it. But I was just toast. I was like, I'm, yeah. I'm not. What's the point? I'm not, I'm not doing this for the rest of my life. And, and if you're not gonna, yeah, and it does seem like if you're not gonna get into the NFL, then yeah, you know, like yeah, yeah, yeah. And I'm like, or if you don't you know, love the, it, 
Especially because football is the worst. It's like Lord <laughs> of the Flies, man. It's I played yeah. for two I played for two years in high school and then when it just got to be where like the coach wanted us to come in for five voluntary weeks or five voluntary yeah. nights a week in the summer. Right. To, for like two hours, five days a week. <laughs> yeah. And volu- on a voluntary basis, which meant like he, you wouldn't play if you didn't do it. Right. How about do you want it? Yeah. And I'm sure that you could have probably gotten him in trouble or in today's world, someone would get him in trouble for that. But right. Yeah. I just was like, I'll get a job at the grocery store. <laughs> and it was also, it just was like the transformation of my friends from being just like these boys I'd grown up with into being just like reveling in the misery that they could cause someone else's body. It was just like, (laughs) it was very, yeah, it was a very weird, like I didn't have that. I mean, I was, I was literally the captain of the football team. Oh, wow. Congratulations. And I would thank you. (laughs) But but I was, cause I was really into it and I was big. I was the same size I am now, you know, then. Yeah. And I, and I was really into it and loved it, but I was also the class clown. I remember like, one time we had to start this practice by stretching and I'd have to lead the, the whole team through these stretches, these warmups. And this one kid, Joe was screwing around and I yelled at him and he's like, I'm, I'm sorry, but it's just, it's a hard adjustment to go from what we were just doing in the locker room. Cause yeah, I was making yeah. everyone laugh. And then now you're acting like you're our boss. Yeah, he's yeah. like, you know, give me a break, <laughs> <laughs> but I took it really seriously and, but I didn't have that, but I was, you know, hanging out with everybody and making them laugh and stuff. So I never, yeah. I never like fostered the real jock kind of that douchey part of being a jock, you know? Yeah. It was, but, and, and our team wasn't very good <laughs> as a result. <laughs> well, now does your dad, when you say like, no, no football, I'm going to go to theater school. Is, yeah. how, did, how is that adjustment for him? Is he okay? You know? Yeah, he was all right with it. It took a little bit. It took a little because he saw that I had potential to at least play that stuff. But I was just done. I don't remember it being he must have accepted it because I don't remember it being any much of a conflict. Yeah, Yeah, there was some conversations, I'm sure. But he didn't really like demand it or like turn his back on me because of it. And it was it was really like a it was Ryder College in New Jersey, which is the distinction of being described as down the road from Princeton. Oh, <laughs> yeah, from the real schools. And uh, <laughs> and it was really a kind of a communications business school. And I did communications, but it had a theater department. Mm. So I just started doing that. And, and immediately freshman year was in plays and stuff. And I think they, I, they, you know, they too saw that I was headed that direction, even though the sports was like a fun thing to do. It was, I think it was pretty expected from them that I would, show up in plays like and start doing that stuff immediately. And you didn't do plays in high school? No. Yeah. No. Sports was too there was much. No yeah. Time. Yeah, yeah, there was yeah. no time. Yeah. Yeah. No time. I like, you know, I like those kids and, but there was no time. And I, when football was over, they had a, like a talent contest variety show thing. And yeah. I hosted that. And I like created bits and, and hosted. And it was, that was like the, it was over for football. And I was on stage doing horrible bits yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> of what I thought was going to be like a routine. Um, but I, yeah, I jumped, I kind of like jumped right into it. But you are reborn. 
Yeah, I was yeah. just like, all right, now I can just do this part. I don't have to do that other part anymore. <laughs> <laughs> well, now you go to college to do this, and you said that your parents were kind of like, do you have a, a you know, a, a backup plan? And, and was there a backup plan? Did you? Not really. It was like, you know, I guess I, I guess advertising. I could do advertising yeah. if I have to because I can write, but. It yeah. wasn't. It wasn't in my head that it, it, there was a real backup plan at, yeah. at all. Yeah, and then, and then I read in the Village Voice that I could oh, to be an actor because I was doing mostly acting. I would like I would record myself doing stand up and stuff. But I never got up and did it. And then uh, to be an actor, you had to get hired. You know, in New York City. You know, this. Yeah, I was like, and then I was looking at the Village Voice and it was like, New York Comedy Club said if you brought a couple friends you could uh, get on stage for five minutes. And I, and I just uh, called them and made the date. And they're like, all right, you can come in. Uh, yeah, all right. And I just was like, holy cow, I have a gig, guys. <laughs> you guys have to come sit in the audience. I'm going to go wow. to New York City and be on stage. Were you out of college by that time? Yeah, yep. I was out of college living in northern New Jersey. And doing what for a living? I was writing ad copy. Oh, okay. At at uh in a small agency in New Jersey. Yeah. And and living with my friends and just hanging out and and then found and I was like starting to audition a little bit, but that was hard. I didn't really have a guide of where to go or what to do. Yeah. But comedy you could kind of take it into your own hands. Yeah, yeah. You know, so so I uh, made this date and walked in and there was uh the host was on stage. There was no one in the audience but my friends, and uh it was like you know, in the summer, five o'clock in the afternoon, light out. Yeah. The old New York Comedy Club was on top of a cowboy bar. It was like a Western bar. And you went upstairs from that. And there was this little showroom. It was really cool space. And there was a young Greg Giraldo. Oh, really? Sitting there, nervous as all hell, shaking, sweating, terrified to go up. And, uh, and we just talked and made each other laugh. And that was the first comic I ever met. Wow. Yeah, it was pretty special. And how long? And I, well, you remember the date. You you know you remembered the date yeah, specifically. June, yeah, June twelfth, nineteen ninety three. Yeah, and um, and is that pretty much it? Like, do you just are like, okay, here we go? Yeah, pretty much. I was, yeah. you know, I'd written some jokes and I got some laughs, and you know, it was enough to be exciting. I'd never been in a comedy club before. Like I never like went to watch comedy. I saw Buddy Hackett in Atlantic City once, and I saw um, Jackie Mason. I saw him, and I saw uh, no, I saw Buddy Hackett on TV. Actually, uh, the only one I saw was Jackie Mason, I guess, uh, in Atlantic City. And so I'd never been in a comedy club, but once I was in there, and I met Greg, and we exchanged phone numbers, and we got some laughs, and I was just like, okay, this is this is. I can do this. And my friends are excited to come. Yeah. I don't have to audition for anybody. Uh, let's just, let's just start going. But you know, in the beginning it's really fits and starts like, yeah. Cause you're not making money at it and you're, it's hard to get gigs and it, it take you know, the first couple of years you you get up maybe one or two times, you know, you yeah. know, a month and uh, it, it takes a while, but I was, but that was it. I was like, yeah, this, I have to do this. Want to make mom's day? Get to your Nordstrom Rack now and score amazing deals for Mother's Day, which is Sunday, May 12th. 
Find tons of gifts from only $30 at Nordstrom Rack. Fragrance, jewelry, luxury bags, activewear, beauty, and more. Save on Kate Spade, New York, Stuart Weitzman, and Ted Baker, London. Great brands, great prices. So shop your Nordstrom Rack store today and treat mom to the good stuff from just $30. Life is a highway, and on it there will be many chicken sandwiches. But there's only one crispy. so go ahead and hit the turn signal if you know about this juicy gem of a detour. Love the flexibility of working in all sorts of places? Well, working on the go seamlessly requires a strong network like T-Mobile. We have America's largest 5G network, so whether you're on a video call at the park or uploading large files at a coffee shop, we have the 5G speed you need. Whatever takes you on the go, T-Mobile's got you covered. Find out more at T-Mobile.com slash network today. Coverage not available in some areas. See 5G device coverage and access details at T-Mobile.com. Can't you tell my love's a-growing? Do you have moments in those early days of just where you're just like scared shitless and you just think, oh, fuck, this is never going to happen and. You know, is there yeah. like an abyss of self-doubt that you peer into? Now oh, yeah. All yeah. the time. I remember, I mean, especially especially with your show, because I wanted to get on, like young comics were able to get on there. Like you guys were seeing like who the cooler comics were. And at that time, you know, you guys were putting on like, you know, Mark Marin and Louie and mm-hmm. Mattel and like all these guys and they were like sitting down doing panel and it was like and you guys were sniffing around the clubs and bringing up these comics and and it was like I wanted so desperately to get on your show and it was taking so long and uh I really was I remember being filled with doubt like I don't know yeah. if I can't get on if I can't get on that show how am I gonna where do I, what's going to happen? Maybe I don't, you know, and when you're not getting it, you start to think like, maybe it's all, it's all wrong. Yeah. And the irony, I remember saying, cause it was Frank Smiley who was booking it. And I was like, how can I be in comedy being denied by a guy named Smiley? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. <laughs> it was hard. He's still there. He's still working for us. Yeah, he's yeah. one of the yeah. stalwarts. And I love him. Like, after after being on for so many times and getting yeah. through it, Paula and him and JP, and it was like, you know, these things that really... And it should be hard, though. Like, I wasn't ready in the beginning, I'm sure. Yeah. But I just wanted it so badly. And it made you work harder. But, man, you're filled with doubt. And, you know, as a perform- I think as a creative person... You're always filled with doubt. You're yeah. always feeling like you can be better. And, and that never really goes away. It doesn't. That that sort of, I yeah, that, that pool of, of doubt, you can dip into it at any time. And mm-hmm. whether you, and I'm always amazed yeah. by this, you know, having made a living at this, you know, for yeah. over 28 years, nine yeah. years, that I still, I can be feeling really good about myself. And I can, I mean, less so now because it's my, working with the Conan show has been so, it's calm. You know, yeah. it's like, it's it's not necessarily static, but it's, yeah. it's, there's not a lot of wrinkles thrown at you. Not a lot of, you know, mm-hmm. curveballs. Whereas like when I was just 
doing other show, you know, like had a sitcom, like, especially when I had the show on, on TV. Yeah. You'd hear great stuff and you'd feel great. And you'd feel like, all right, Mm -hmm. I'm on it. I'm on one of those ladders that goes to the sky, you know, (laughs) rung by rung. Here I go. And then literally a day later, you could have one phone call and somebody be like, it's not looking good. And you're like, what the fuck? And all of a sudden, everything drops out and you're standing like on a tightrope over an abyss. And you're like, how did I ever think that this was possible? It's amazing. I know you're exactly right. And there's these moments like it doesn't even occur to you when things are going well, like that this can't happen. And then yeah. all of a sudden you get those phone calls and you're just like, wait, what? Oh, yep. no. Yeah, yeah. I, I, right. I mean, but that is such a, that's such a minefield. I guess like stand-up is my Conan show, right? Like I rely on it. I can always do it. I'm like, it's, yeah. there, there is a calm and it's, an, it's, you know, it's, it's still show business, but it doesn't have that. And then when you start poking out, like I have a script now that is out there and it's like, all of a sudden you feel like you're going back into the woodcutter. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, like yeah. The machine is yeah. just, all of a sudden you're back in a position where people can say no. Yeah. Or people yeah. Can, can say go away or they yeah. have to say yes for this to continue. And it's like, yeah. I, I, that lack of control combined with being a creative person who's a little more sensitive to the world. It's, uh, you know, I've seen super, super talented people who, did not progress because they couldn't handle that part of it. Like, yeah, kind of crushes them. Yeah. You know, and I had enough of, I think that was the biggest benefit of being in sports and having a family that wasn't and making me go to school. It gave me like, it, it wasn't really, really like a fallback plan, but it was a backstop. Right. Like it was, Oh, this is how the world works. This is going to, you know, you're going to have all this K. It's not all just emotion. There is yeah. practicality to to kind of how you how do you stumble through it, I guess. Yeah. And I well, and it's like you say too. I think there is a there is some level of where whether it's a learned thing or whether you have it, but there's this kind of auto brainwashing that you do because mm-hmm. it's like you said when you're riding high, you don't ever think it's going to be bad. And that's I sort of have that same thing. And I think it's, you don't, you don't tend, you know, you just, when things are good, you just kind of exist in that moment. It's like a compartmentalization and you don't really like, you don't get caught up in the fear of it. And I'm, my parents used to, they, I mean, not so much anymore, obviously, but after I left the Conan show the first time and I would be working on a, you know, on a movie mm-hmm. and, or, or I'd have a show, you know, a TV show that I was working on. They'd be like, right. Okay. So how long does this last? And I say, well, you know, the episode, we got six episodes and, and then it's like, wait and see, or, yeah. or this movie, you know, I'm working for another month and a half. And then, uh-huh. see, and they're always like, well, what at, what's after that? And I'd be like, <laughs> I, I don't know. And they'd be like, well, how do you do that? And I was, yeah. I would be like, I don't know. Yeah. I honestly don't know. I just shut it off like that, you know, Book of Mormon song, you know, yeah, turn it yeah. off. All <laughs> right. that worry, just turn it off because like, what good is it going to do to me to worry about the, you know, like yeah. my possible unemployability? Like, no, I have to kind of 
just going to this thing. I'm like, no, I mean, I've, I, I've worked up till now, you know, yeah. I, mean, I guess I'll keep working, you know? I mean, it, 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 there's always that fear that it's going to all fall apart though. But that's the thing. It's like, there is always that fear, but if you let that fear engulf you, then yeah. you'd never make the step. You would yep. never get in. You'd never go anywhere. It's like, yeah. you really kind of have to, it's almost like this, <laughs> this kind of like weird comedic Zen thing where you have to kind of just deal with, you know, what's happening right now. Like, yeah. you know, okay, so we're going to, we're going to get on and have a fun chat with Andy. I could be thinking, yeah, but that script's not going to get made. And then if that script doesn't get made, mm-hmm. am I ever going to be in a film? And am I, ah, and what, <laughs> you can create this tidal wave of fear. Yeah. It's like, no, let's just manage the little fear. Let's just manage, you know, it always exists, but don't let it overwhelm. Yeah. You, you gotta, you, you gotta kind of create this, naivete about it in yeah. a way it's better now when you say because i don't you know i i've i've only sort of dabbled in stand-up as a, a dilettante uh i have tons of friends who are stand-up so many of my people uh people in my life are, mm-hmm. are are stand-up comedians but when you say something like you know stand-up is your conan show it's the thing that you can rely on yeah as an outsider to that, I mean, you know, like a familiar outsider, but still an outsider that would, I would feel nervous. Like, well, what if that falls apart? Like, like Uh what if, what if all of a sudden, like the stuff just isn't selling like it used to. And I mean, how do you, how do you maintain that business for yourself in a way that you feel like, well, I'll be, you know, you got daughters that need to go to college you know how do you make (laughs) sure that you know that it's sustainable on that level because it can be so on and off you know accelerator and break you know well yeah but i mean it's what i do and i try to get really good at it and i have my fans out there who like to come and see it all around the country it's like this little conversation you know i just feel like i just keep making it I didn't just like show up, get enough of an act and let it just go and just, yeah, like, yeah. let's just, let's just see how this rides. I mean, I really love writing it all the time and working at it and trying to get better and better and better. And that's my whole thing. And as I continue to do that, more people continue to show up. So there's enough of a conversation with them where I, I feel like, you know, it's, you know, look, every, everything can happen. Anything can happen. It can, everything can go away, but yeah, I love it. It's my calling. It's what I really love to do. And it's, I never thought of it, of the reliability part of it. And, you know, after being in it so long and seeing my friends that got straight jobs, those jobs ended up a lot, they were more vulnerable in a lot of ways than I was mm. as a performer. Like I saw, you know, people that were downsized and just kicked out and yeah. now they're a little older and it's hard to get a job again. And there's no certainty to any of this. Yeah. Yeah. Any of it. But you obviously, I guess, I guess that's a thing, uh, and, you know, is that there's growth. There's still growth yes. even to this thing that you've been doing. That's, you know, yeah, that's your main thing that you've been doing forever. There's still growth to it. Oh, a hundred percent. Oh, good. Yeah, I, yeah. I, I, and I really don't feel, I, and I feel like I'm just starting to get it. <laughs> oh, wow. I, and I don't say that in, in a, in a humble kind of a way. Like I truly have like a style of writing and I know how to go at it. And I, I just, I just feel like I'm getting better at it now than, you know, I, well, 
I think I was able to, I was able to kind of succeed without being great. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, <laughs> like I was able to like be funny enough to keep it going and, 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 you know, there's energy and there's all this other stuff. But as far as like the writing and the craft of like what the jokes are and what I want to say, I feel like, I don't know. I just feel like it's getting better now at this moment than it. Uh, so yeah, the growth is growth is important. Otherwise, you get bored of it. I think. I think. Yeah, it just, yeah. It would just kind of go away. Is there a, um, at this point in your career? Well, I mean, COVID is is a throws a wrench into the works, obviously, which is a. I'll we'll, I'll ask about that in a second, but. Um, what, what did it ever feel like a grind, like the road, like that, it, you know, especially as you had kids, you know, I mean, or did you, were you able to sort of like balance it enough where you didn't have to work so much that you no, could have a life too? I always worked a ton. And that's the kind of what this year, this forced sabbatical has done has made me kind of like, look at, look at it all. But, you know, as comedians, you just kind of say yes to everything because you yeah. do want to keep it going. And, yeah. And, and you know, as, as it keeps growing, you just keep, you just say yes and just keep going. And I was always, you know, I was always very conscious of being around for my family and that kind of stuff. But I went hard for a long, long time. And this sabbatical kind of made me think, like, on the one hand, it makes me think, should I be more tactical like a band? You know, they're like, we're going, it's summer tour. And then you're home in the fall. Yeah, <laughs> you know, yeah, like they yeah, always yeah. seem to like have a, have it set up that way. And uh, and we just tour constantly. We're just on this never ending tour. Yeah. But, it, but then the other side of me is like, well, why would I dial it back now when my kids are on their way to college? <laughs> it's like, this is, if I was going to do that, <laughs> right, right. I should have done that when they were five or six, but I needed to make money for the family. So I couldn't do it when they were five or six. So, uh, you know, but back to your question of like, did you ever like tire of or did it ever feel like a grind? There's definitely times when you're not feeling great or you do have disappointments or yeah. you're not selling well in a certain city on you, that you're headed to. And mm. there's definitely, you know, there's, there's hard parts to it, but it always seems to is if it's such a silly thing, but, and it's a small thing, but a huge thing. Like if literally, if you have a new idea that works in that set, like if you haul your ass to Cleveland and you're not feeling it, but then that whole weekend you have this new like five minute chunk that you're working on and it's starting to work and you're relating. It just does something to you that, yeah. that kind of pushes all that other negativity out of the way. Yeah, I can see that. Yeah. You know, you can get lazy within it and then, like you said, not grow. And then those times you start to feel bad and you, you stay feeling bad. Yeah. 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 <laughs> yeah. Now your wife, uh, Cynthia, you guys, how old were you when you, how old were you when you guys met? Um, we were together, um, like, like late twenties, early thirties. Okay. So you were already a road comic. I mean, yeah, she knew what she was in for. Or... She did. And she was yeah. a comedian. Oh, okay. She started as a comedian. We met at the comic strip and we were in a sketch group together with this funny little sketch group or not very funny but little <laughs> <laughs> and uh and we started hanging out but the minute i met her i was like oh boy okay yeah this is and we had this kind of 
intense connection because we went to the same kindergarten a year apart. Oh my gosh. We went to the same school up until third grade. And then I moved one town over and we had yeah. this shared history of same summer job, never met, but had this same summer jobs mm-hmm. kind of, we were at the same parties. Like there was, a, there was like this familial kind of sure thing that we just knew each other really, really well, but she knew she was an, she started as a dancer before she was a comedian and she was in the arts. She was an entertainer. She traveled around. She saw me traveling around. So she, yeah, she knew she, not only did she know what she was getting into, but she also didn't, it wasn't foreign to her at all. Like, right. She, she had chosen it for herself. Yeah. She, yeah. 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 She has more wanderlust, I think, than I do. Mm. But when the kids showed up, you know, that kind of just changed that. For her, not for you. You still no. just, oh, man, all oh. over the place. Yeah. I was like, if I can get her pregnant, then I can keep going <laughs> to I, Cleveland. I can, yeah, I can go to Lincoln, <laughs> Nebraska all I want. <laughs> well, no, that Lucky is, I mean, me. that is, I mean, that you describe like a really wonderful chance at a really good, long, healthy relationship because there is so much understood. You know, mm-hmm. you just, and you can just kind of be yourself so much with someone like that. Yeah. A hundred percent. Yeah. A hundred percent. I mean, you know, yeah. And it's even like down to like the minutia of like what you talk about or your attitudes towards stuff. It's like you both kind of come from that weird combination. I mean, it's so really remarkable that we met, like we had the same shared history of like this kindergarten all those values all that stuff that you learn when you were five yeah. six eight we learned at the same time and then also we ended up in entertainment like it's a weird weird yeah. lucky stroke for sure yeah, yeah i probably should give her flowers or once or twice something. <laughs> sign you know sign a copy of your book for her <laughs> that, that, that would be very nice <laughs> Life is a highway, and on it there will be many chicken sandwiches. But there's only one crispy. so go ahead and hit the turn signal if you know about this juicy gem of a detour. Love the flexibility of working in all sorts of places? Well, working on the go seamlessly requires a strong network like T-Mobile. We have America's largest 5G network, so whether you're on a video call at the park or uploading large files at a coffee shop, we have the 5G speed you need. Whatever takes you on the go, T-Mobile's got you covered. Find out more at T-Mobile.com slash network today. Coverage not available in some areas. See 5G device coverage and access details at T-Mobile.com. Can't you tell my love's a growing? One of the things about stand-up that's that's always been interesting to me is, you know, the different kinds of comedians, but they really are sharing a part of themselves. I mean, like there are some stand up, like, you know, you brought up Louis CK earlier and he was a writer on the Conan show very early on, uh, like one of the first writers on the show. So I, you know, he and I were friends for a good long time and I used to go see him do his set, especially like after he got married and after he had his first kid and it was painfully confessional in my estimation, like what he did. Yeah. And there were times when I'd be like, like there was something about that warts and all kind of comedy that was brilliant. And he's an amazing Mm -hmm. observationalist, especially when he turns it on himself. 
mm-hmm. which he doesn't do too much anymore, if you ask me. But um, if I, it would make me uncomfortable, and I would think I could never do that. I could never yeah. talk about the warts and all aspects of my marriage like that. Mm-hmm. And I mean, you kind of, you're sort of split the difference, I think, with your work. Like where there's, yeah, yeah. It's honesty, but it's not like makes well, the honesty. audience uncomfortable honesty. Right. Well, it's also, it's being truthful because there are aggravations and there are, you know, those things that I do talk about in my act, but we didn't have a depth of resentment and lack of love that he obviously did in his relationship because it ended up blowing up, right? Like yeah, they yeah. divorced and there was a lot more pain there. I don't, we don't have that. I would be, I would be false if I was re- creating stuff that was so gut-wrenching that I couldn't handle it. And, you know, it's almost like, you know, it's that kind of, that thing of like, does great art come from pain? Well, sometimes, you know, you do really get to, when he would, I was thinking about his joke just the other day, actually, about the like the saddest hand job in history. Mm-hmm. When right, but like, like it's this joke about his wife pleasuring him but resenting him at the same time. And that, yeah. the, I mean, those things when he unearths those are they really they they stick with you like those mm-hmm. those moments. And uh, you know, like you know, Chappelle going deep with his stuff, and w- there is that thing. But I. I don't, we don't, we're not a failing relationship. So yeah, yeah. my stuff is going to be a little bit more about the problems I have sleeping next to her while she has a mouth guard <laughs> in her mouth. And yeah, yeah. <laughs> you yeah. know what I mean? Yeah, yeah. Like I had an interesting moment yesterday when uh, driving my daughter to school and I forgot this again, this whole thing of forgetting stuff. I, uh, I had to do a TV interview because I'm doing this live streaming show on Saturday. So I've been out promoting it. and. They called me on my phone. I had to Zoom on a TV show in Portland. Mm-hmm. And I'm driving my daughter to school and I'm doing, we're at the carpool. <laughs> so so I'm red lights. You're like, yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. And uh, it was right at the school. So it wasn't, I wasn't having a speed, but we were in that crawl. So yeah, I was yeah. doing it there. The and my daughter, and, yeah. and, the, and the host asked my daughter, she said, do you, how do you feel about your dad telling jokes about you? Like, does it bother you? Or are you okay with it? And we never really talk about that. Yeah. And because I do talk about, you know, we have a mean girl and I do talk about the aggravation of fatherhood. And and she I was kind of relieved because she said, sometimes my friends will say, look what your dad said about you. But they don't really understand how comedy works. between chomps on her cigar (laughs) yeah Yeah. (laughs) she's like he's exaggerating they're They're civilians (laughs) yeah Yeah. what do they know i was kind of relieved because you know i know they don't sit and watch my stuff Mm -hmm. but they but you know social media they they come across it and stuff but it's good to know that they understand that there's a there's a little truth but there's a lot of exaggeration in it yeah yeah you know do you find there to be therapeutic aspects to your work and was there mm. as over the you know as you start out just being a comedian that's trying to be funny and trying to find your way yeah then you get some kind of poise and you are kind of talking about your life mm. are there times when it like has beneficial or not so beneficial effects on your actual psyche and your actual relationships yeah i and i think not 
not doing it now for this year. I've only done like a handful of weekends this entire year. And that's so unusual. Yeah. And it's so weird to not do it that you, the lack of, of therapeutic cathartic moments, like every, every night I would get up on stage somewhere and let it out, yeah. <laughs> you know? Yeah, and, yeah. And sometimes it would be stuff that would never make it onto TV or into my specials. But at that night, in that moment, I could go off about my brother-in-law or something and blah, and just, oh, and have the audience laugh. It was, you feel so much better. Yeah. And this year of but just bottling it up, all that stuff's still happening. Your life is still going on. You're still aggravated. You still have all this doubt and whatever's going on and no outlet for it. You just kind of carry it and open another bottle of wine. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> like, yeah. It really made me realize how therapeutic it was. You know, how how much of a, a, a lucky profession that you could have that release. Mm -hmm. Because this year I haven't had it. And uh, man, I'm on the Peloton a lot just trying to keep my head straight. <laughs> <laughs> really, just to clear out my head. Yeah, yeah. It's nothing to do with like losing weight or I'm just like, I got to get on that or I'm going to be weird at dinner. <laughs> <laughs> Are there are there things that have happened in your life? I mean, obviously not during COVID times, but you where you're like, I need to think about this, so I'm going to take it to the stage. You know, like like does does the stage sometimes become your you know your yeah. workout space for like how to solve your life <laughs> issues? Yeah, probably that. Yeah. And writing the books also, the writing the books has been. Um, a big part of that too, because you can go deeper and you're not mm -hmm. always going for a laugh. So you have a lot more space to like really just kind of pour stuff out. Yeah. And uh, I find that that puts me, but that kind of puts you in this, you're almost too much in your own head. Like if I'm, when I have a deadline and I'm writing a ton, it's like I become very insular. I become very quiet around the house, you know? Mm -hmm. uh, yeah. It's, it's a, it, you know, because I don't, I don't really deal in my relationships with a lot of sincerity. You know what I mean? Like I'm sincere, but I, I'm always making light of stuff and joking around about stuff. I never like sit down, like, let's have a talk. Yeah. You know what I mean? So, but you kind of, I think stand up allows me to not have to do that. <laughs> you know? Yeah. Yeah. Because I can kind of emotionally kind of get, all that stuff out and now I don't have to like sit and have a family meeting. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah. There's a, there's a clip of me from the chuckle hut. Hun, if you want to know how I feel about this particular issue. Yeah. Situation. It's probably healthy for me, but maybe not for everybody involved. Not for everybody. Yeah. I was going to say, cause that's when you write a book, I mean, you like, you mentioned it, like your brother-in-law, like your kids are one thing, your but like, is your brother-in-law in your books and do you know, and how do you handle that? How do you handle like sort of working from sort of an autobiographical memoir kind of space? Yeah. When there are, you know, well, I wouldn't call them innocents because those fuckers are always driving you crazy. Yeah. The people in your life, you know? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Uh, yeah. It's, I, 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 I cheat it. I, you know, oh, do you? different names and, yeah, yeah. Different things. and Do people uh, figure it out ever? Do they go like, hey, wait a minute, is that me? 
No, I haven't had that, but I have, I mean, they haven't said, maybe, but I've had some surprising misinterpretations about what I wrote. Oh, really? Yeah, which was really, I have a friend of my, a friend of my mother's who's, uh, I was talking about how when I was younger, it was an essay about, uh, about how I loved hanging out when I was a kid. I liked hanging out when we'd have like these big when the men would be sitting as a kid, when the men would be watching football and the women would be in the kitchen, I always like drifting over into the kitchen yeah. because they were talking and they yeah. were funny and they were just laughing. And same, then I go same, back in, same. Yeah. right? Then you go back into the game to watch the game with the guys and they'd all just watch in silence. And once yeah. in a while, I'll make a ball busting joke. Uh, yeah, uh, yeah, yeah. And then I go back in there and they're like, yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah, and, yeah, and I remember at a certain point, my my, uh, you know, she was my she was my aunt, but she wasn't. She was a friend of my mother's, and she once she said, "Oh no!" At a certain age, she said, "Look at Tom; he's turning into a man. He doesn't want to hang out with us anymore." He's and I was I was drifting towards just yeah. being one of the dudes, and she called me out on it. And I was telling the story in the essay, and I was talking about how how she had um, she had different relationships with men, and knew that the knew that part of it, and was sad to see me go over there. And she she interpreted it that I was talking about her divorces or something that I was like that, and I was like it was it was such a in my mind it was such a postcard love letter to how. She taught me to keep my eyes open and not become a cold-hearted guy. Yeah. And she was, it was so, so important. And she told my mother, like, eh, it was, I didn't like that. I didn't like what he said. She misinterpreted it as some, like, judgment on her failed marriages or something. So that was the only one that really kind of stung. Well, you did call the chapter, If Aunt Kathy Could Keep a Man. <laughs> dot, dot, dot. Yeah, yeah, I know. That was my editor, <laughs> which I guess you'll never know that. <laughs> well, that's too bad. You know, I, I, yeah, it's people, yeah. you know, they bring their own their own baggage to the airport. Uh, <laughs> yeah. Um, <laughs> and I was I was pretty harsh on my in-laws in this one essay because um, they were kind of mean, but I knew that they would never read it. <laughs> <laughs> Be careful, though, man, because... I uh, I think oh no one like you know yeah. my mom will never hear this and then I get like <laughs> yeah. I heard what you said about me you know oh, no. oh I have a I have a funny part of that with the Conan show my grandmother was who I adored and she was ninety like almost ninety years old and I had a joke about how. She, she was kind of going bald in the front, but still had her long hair. She like was turning into Benjamin Franklin, <laughs> thinking, "Well, she has Alzheimer's now. You know, right, she'll, right. she'll never know." And and I went down to visit her in Florida at the nursing home for her ninetieth birthday, and she's like, "Benjamin Franklin." <laughs> I was like, "She doesn't remember anyone's names. She's totally crazy town, and she yeah, yeah. remembered that joke." <laughs> well, it was therapeutic for her. You were helping her with her, you know, with her memory loss. Yeah, You're exactly. Jolting something. her out of it. Yeah, yeah. something that she was really going to pop with her. Yeah. Uh, well, so funny. You mentioned that you have a script out. Is it a, a feature script? 
No, it's a uh, it's a sitcom script. A sitcom. Yeah. And is that kind of where you're going? Is that is that sort of where you where you kind of are hoping things head? I don't know, Andy. It's hard because you know you have. Yeah, I've got stand up. I'm yeah. working on the next book, and I love television. I've never really nailed it with TV. Like I had a pie, I had like six episodes here, or, mm-hmm. you know, ten episodes hosting something there, and game showing, yeah, yeah, and that it's kind of thing. And I, I've still have that thing in me that really wants to do like a scripted show, yeah. But I worry that I, I that I don't have the focus for it, like. I write these scripts and I'm trying to get it going, but I have all these other distractions. You know mm-hmm. what I mean? Like, it's like if it, if everything was totally focused on that, would I pull it off? You know, I don't know is the short answer is that I'd love to, I would love to produce some more. And like, I don't even necessarily have to be the guy, you know, starring in it. I, I love telling stories and yeah, I would love to do it, but I'm, I, I am worried that, I'm spread too thin. Yeah. And maybe that's subconscious. Maybe maybe I love the writing that, and the books and the stand-up more. I don't know. But you can tell this is what goes on in my head at night. It's There's no real answer. It just kind of spins around. No, it's, it's hard because when you're talking about getting a TV show made, you're really getting into an area of saying, I want to pour myself into something that I have almost no control over. Yeah. You know, whereas like when you write a book, you sell the book mm-hmm. and there's an editor that kind of has some say in it. But you write the book. Yeah. Whereas when you write the pilot, you know, you go to a network person, you say or a, whoever you go and yeah. say, I'll have an idea for a pilot. Cool. Here's some money. Write it. OK. Yeah. I wrote it. Oh, cool. We're going to make some episodes of it. OK, great. So sure. Um, you know what? We want. We actually want your wife to be a dentist <laughs> yeah. and we want your kids to not be kids. We want them to be ponies. Yeah. And, you know, and then it's yeah. just like, what the fuck? And then you make it as much as you, you know, you do all these compromises. And then it's like, you know what? Thanks for those five episodes. But you know what? We're just going to throw them in the trash. Yeah. Because the, the person that hired you got fired and the new person has no interest <laughs> In keeping things from the previous regime. It's just debilitating, you know, how much, because you convince yourself over and over, this thing is good. This is going to work. This is, and it's like I said earlier about every time I did a show, I was like, you have to convince yourself. You have to, you have to forget your failures because then you can't enter into new things Mm -hmm. because you're just like, well, this is just going to get blown up like that last fucking thing. Right. And that thing Whatever the end result is, that that story you just described, which is every TV experience I've ever had, the executives, all the rest of it, uh, is ultimately like a two, three year process. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> it's two or three years. And yeah. you're so right about the book. When I was thinking about writing the first one, and I asked Dave Hill about it, mm-hmm. the great Dave Hill, and and I because he had written one, and I said, "What do you think?" You know, it's like it seems like a lot of work for not like a ton of cash. And is it worth it? And he said, the greatest thing is when they say you're doing the book and you make the deal to write the book, you know, it's going to be made. Yeah. Unlike everything else in television and show business, you know, yeah. when you're sitting there late at night, pounding out on the keyboard, there's no like, Oh, but what if some executive doesn't like this from some place you never met? He yeah. goes, that will get made. And that was so close to stand up. 
mm-hmm. that I was like, oh, that it's such a calming thing. Back yeah. to your your perfect word of calming. Yeah. And you then it allows you to just make as great a stuff as you can. Where the rest is like you're working on that script and you're doing that pilot, and then eighty percent of your energy is fighting off all of yeah. that other yeah, stuff. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's very little about the the creative force of it. And it's also somebody pointed this out to me in a version. Victor Fresco, the guy that ran Andy Richter Controls the Universe, talked about network testing because there was like this isn't testing well, this isn't testing well, and he said this would matter if. They were prove like it was provable that their testing worked. Yeah. But like they test the shit out of everything and then they put it on TV and you watch it and you're like, this is dumb as shit. This isn't <laughs> funny. I know. And it's like, and it's like when you you're killing yourself, like, cause you wanna like, you know, the notion of like getting a show on network television. Yeah. Is huge. But mm-hmm. then you, you know, like, here's all the new comedies for network television, and you're just like, Ugh. oh my God, <laughs> yuck it. <laughs> I want to take a shower. This is so gross. <laughs> and you're thinking, these are the people that are going to tell me, yeah. like, nah, your ideas aren't good. Oh, it's so crazy. Because, like, it, even specifically with your show, it's like anyone that is in that testing are not the people that are going to really love right. your show. They're, right. The people that love your show are not rolling in into testing. They're yeah, reading yeah. books. They're, like, they're watching yeah. comedy show. They're, like, cool kids. It's like, yeah, I know. There's, there's the... <laughs> That's it's it. not even that, like, you know, my shit is so great and it's going to be fantastic. It's just it's like, OK, I can get I can take that, like whatever I do, whatever you do. My you know, it's like it, it's for some people. It's not for other people. Like, right. I'm not saying I'm a, you know, a smash hit, but it is like, yeah. Jesus Christ, you can't hire me and then expect me to be Alan Thick. You know, and I it, mean, it's and it's it, and it's so know. it's so um, it's such a sneaky thing, too, because as you're going along you're make you're you have this relationship with the network people and you're like they're all cool i like them they're like yeah. you know and you want to it's like we're all working together and they have good ideas and you don't realize you're you slowly chip away and you slowly make these tiny little micro changes mm-hmm. and it all ends up being a bigger thing and those people who you were trying to please are not the ones that ultimately no get it on the air they bring it to like new york up in their corporate building and there's executives you've never met and never created a relationship with or, right. or, or sent a funny email to. And, and those are the people that end up making the decision. So yes, it's kind of crazy. It really is. Yeah. But all that being said, when you have a show and you're making your way through this minefield and you get it up and you're getting it on TV, it's very exciting. It's really great. I, yeah. I mean, all of this, of course, is, uh, I mean, and I hope that, you know, it, this is all like sort of like grounded in the fact that we're very fucking lucky to get to do all this for a living. I mean, lucky and, you know, it's not just luck. I mean, yeah, it's a lot of work. Know, yeah, where a it's a lot of work. Love it's a lot of skill and talent and stuff. But yeah, OK, I get it. Yeah, yeah, no, it's it's rarefied air when you start bitching about getting network notes. Yeah. But, you know, still your life but is still, your life. Yeah. But yeah. Mm-hmm. And and and. It's just so much fun. I mean, there's nothing more. There's nothing better than walking around and te- and saying to people, "So, what do you got going on?" Instead of being like, "Well, I'm doing some more stuff with my podcast, and I'm, yeah, I'm yeah. going to Lincoln, Nebraska." When you have those moments in your career where you're like, "I've got a new movie coming out in July," 
Yeah. Oh, that's such a great thing. I sold the show, got picked up. Yeah. <laughs> Those things. Yeah. Oh, yeah. they're so great because yeah. you know it puts so much into it and it's such an easy thing for people to understand. And it's like, uh, I'll keep trying. <laughs> <laughs> well, uh, it's I gotta wrap this up. I gotta go pick up my daughter at school. Wow, this was so much fun. It was really fun. Uh the final one, you know, is the what have you learned? So uh what's what's the What's the moral of the Tom Papa story, do you think? You should enjoy the hell out of every single thing that you do. Yeah. And I really mean it. And I, I, I mean it from like being in your relationships, dealing with your kids, whatever your work is, whatever bird watching thing you're into, just enjoy the hell out of it and be a little bit of like the, the kid that does get in trouble because it's just so fast and just slides along and to spend all of your time like aggravated and cranky and worrying about politics and this and that and all of it, politics fights. (laughs) It's a waste of time. Yeah. It's a waste of time. So just really try and enjoy as much as you can. And look, it doesn't mean that you're blissed out. Sometimes you just enjoy one little small packet size of Dorito Cool Ranch that day. Maybe that's mm-hmm. all you get that day, but it's 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 better than nothing. <laughs> it's better than nothing is is actually really solid advice. <laughs> really? You know, like, really? Honestly, for all the shit that can get thrown at you, it's better than nothing. It's, it's not better bad. than nothing. You got yeah. you squeeze one laugh out. That's good. Good for I you. I think I think you found your epitaph. <laughs> Call the tombstone maker. It's better than nothing. It's better than nothing. <laughs> it's the name of my next tour. <laughs> All right. Well, Tom, thank you so much. Thank you, Andy. You're the best. Oh, you're the, no, you're the best. I'll see you at carpool. Um, you, yeah, you will. You will. <laughs> um, and thank all of you out there for listening to another episode of the three questions. We'll be back next week. Thank you. I've got a big, big love for you. The Three Questions with Andy Richter is a Team Coco and Earwolf production. It is produced by Lane Gerbig, engineered by Marina Pice, and talent produced by Galitza Hayek. The associate producer is Jen Samples, supervising producer Aaron Blair, and executive producers Adam Sachs and Jeff Ross at Team Coco, and Colin Anderson and Cody Fisher at Earwolf. Make sure to rate and review The Three Questions with Andy Richter on Apple Podcasts. Can't you tell my love's a growing? This has been... A Team Coco production in association with Earwolf. Love the flexibility of working in all sorts of places? Well, working on the go seamlessly requires a strong network like T-Mobile. We have America's largest 5G network, so whether you're on a video call at the park or uploading large files at a coffee shop, we have the 5G speed you need. Whatever takes you on the go, T-Mobile's got you covered. Find out more at T-Mobile.com slash network today. Coverage not available in some areas. See 5G device coverage and access details at T-Mobile.com.